Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So one of my best friends from high school has one of the coolest jobs in the entire world. My friend gets to travel around the world and hang out with some of the biggest celebrities that you know of, huge movie stars, actors. He literally just flies around the world and makes sure that people like you don't like touch them. That's his job. So he travels around the world. He has this job where he's met everybody pretty much that you can think of that somehow is a major influencer inside of movies. So something about me, if you haven't uh, just met me or not uh, familiar with me, I am a kid who is like super 80s obsessed and 90s obsessed. And one of the movies trilogies came out that I was absolutely in love with. So I'm going to see if you guys know who this is. So every millennial might know and every Gen Z is like, what are you talking about, bruh, is what they're going to say. So this is the movie. There's a trilogy about a high school student who has a best friend doctor that creates a time machine out of a car that goes back in time. This trilogy is called Back to the Future. Back to the Future. I'm obsessed with Back to the Future. I thought it was one of the coolest things in the world to think about the fact that I could potentially go back in time and see what my parents were like in high school. So now I'm going to put a shock into all of your systems right now. If we traveled back, it was 30 years for Marty McFly to go back in time. 30 years went from 1985 to 1955. If we went back, 30 years is the year 1993. And I was a senior in high school. That made me feel gross. Like, I'm like, how is that possible? Because I'm going to be celebrating in next year, in 2004, I graduated in 1994, I'm going to be celebrating 30 years of my high school graduation. I'm like, bro, let's go back in time. Like, what in the world has happened? So my friend, being such a great friend of me, knows how obsessed I am with Back to the Future. And he got me this gift. Check this out. This is authentic uh, this is the out of time. This is the license plate on the DeLorean. On the very bottom is Christopher Lloyd. On the top right is Michael J. Fox. And over there on the top left, you may know who that is. That's Thomas Wilson, who played Biff. So he got me the three main characters sign. And I know how much it costs to like meet these people and sign, especially Michael J. Fox, as he's been suffering with his Parkinson's. Like This is an insane piece worth a lot of money. And so he's like, oh yeah, I hang out with him every day. Here, you want one? And just send it to me in the mail. <laughs> I have autographed pictures of all Star Wars characters you can think of. Uh, for Pastor Nick, if you guys uh, who may know Pastor Nick who left, he's a big Star Wars fan, I'm a Star Wars fan. Um, I got him autographed pictures, like, hey, can I get a picture? Like, sure. And he just sent me, like, all these actors. And he just, like, hangs out with them. And so we have a big question when he'd hang out with these actors. Usually our topic of conversation goes like this. Hey, what are they like in real life? Like, when you sit down and talk about them, what are they like? Because, you know, in our minds, we see them in these roles and in these movies, and we start to, like, pigeonhole them, like, are they really like that? And he said, you know, some of them are just amazing. And I'm really glad to say the cast of Back to the Future, he's like, they are all awesome. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. That's so good to hear. He goes, but there are some really terrible people. And I'm like, terrible? 
He's like terrible, mean-spirited, and you will pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to meet these people, and they will treat you like dirt. They'll sign something, toss at you, like just terrible people. And I'm like, oh my word. And then he starts to talk more about these. He's like, yeah, like we all talk on this circuit of traveling with these people. Like nobody wants to work with this person because they are just so mean. Everybody wants to work with this person who is amazing. And so they all have this reputation. But when you get into the actual movement of like what we see in their movies, we're like, but they all seem so amazing. They seem like they'd be such good guys and such good gals. And he was the hero that saved the day. So little, you know, 1985 Jason sees movies or, well, honestly, I still do. Even old 40s Jason, I see movies and I just like, oh, they have to be so heroic. They have to be so strong. They have to be so courageous. They have to be so loving. Every rom-com out there, rom-com girls, let me just share with you, and guys too, but rom-com girls, let me share with you. Some of the stories of some of your actresses are terrible. I'm just letting you know that. Um, and the, the boy, you're like, oh, if I just had a man like that in my life, it's fake. It's fake. It was so disheartening to hear of people that I've like looked up to in some sense, not because I know this person, but because this person's story played a part in my life somehow or some way. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. So I'm like, man, like to have a lightsaber and like save the princess and like fly across stuff and like be like a superhero and like save the universe. Uh, uh, Mark Hamill's awesome, by the way. So I know that. That's great. Um, But to know and to think that somehow, some way, somebody I looked up to wasn't really what I thought. And that's what we're going to dig into today. Because there's something that my friend said to me I'll never forget. He said, Jason, never meet your heroes you're going to leave disappointed. Never meet your heroes, you're going to leave disappointed. And that was, I'm like, are you sure? He's like, even the most awesome of people, they're just human. They aren't the people that they play on the TV or in the movies. They're completely different. And you think about America and how much we worship all of our celebrities and we worship all of our sports stars, that when one of them become quasi-like themselves, let's say, and something slips out in media, let's say there's a match or a game that happens, and you're like, hey, we got to make plays, we got to do the best we can, next time we're going to make plays, and we're going to do better next time and make plays, right? That's the average NFL after game match, right? Game. But when you actually talk and they say, we are terrible and I hate my team, all of media explodes, right? But that might be the real person. So, so he said, never meet your heroes, because they're putting on a front for what they need to do for their job. You'll leave disappointed. And we also think about that when it comes into our lives, and we're going to explore this through the context of the church in Sardis. Because the church in Sardis, if you're just joining us, we've been in this, uh, the words to the seven churches, and we've been going through the book of Revelation, and these seven churches all have a special message directly from Jesus concerning something that they are struggling with. And the church in Sardis has a problem. Their problem is they have a reputation of being awesome, but honestly, they're not. And that's what we're going to dig in today. Today We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, for those of you who have Bible apps that want to open up to that, or iPads, anything you want to use to read along, also be on the screen behind me. We're going to take a look at this big secret that Sardis, this church in Sardis, has been hiding from everybody. Revelation 3, 1 to 6 says this. To the church, angel to the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, 
You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus begins this letter just like he's been doing in all the letters before this one by describing himself in a way which connects to the issue which is happening at the church. He's been describing himself in different ways. And this one specifically is a little It's a little mystic. We can't quite understand what he's saying because remember, we're back into a book that is using imagery. So the imagery that's being used here, we have to dig a little deeper into because this is not something that we'd understand. He's described as having the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, those who've been in the church world for a while understand and know the Trinitarian doctrine, meaning that God is three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've may have heard that before. Even those outside the church may have heard that terminology. God is a trinity. He is one God in three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit. But now he's talking about seven spirits. Where would this terminology come from? Most likely, again, we're talking imagery. So Jesus is using imagery here to help us understand something. And the seven spirits of God are not literal, but the seven spirits of God is representing the Holy Spirit because seven is always the number used of perfection or completion. Perfection or completion. Throughout all of the Bible, you see the number seven used over and over and over again. And hey, it's to the seven churches, right? And so then he says, I hold seven spirits and seven stars. Now the seven stars is the church universal and the church complete. So you've got the Holy Spirit and the church brought together. And it's like, wow, where are we going with this, Jason? This is where we're going. The Holy Spirit, the complete Holy Spirit, it was Jesus that brought the Holy Spirit to the church. Jesus, when he left, brought the Holy Spirit. He left and said, I'm going to bring one, a counselor to you, one greater than myself. And this is the one who's going to help you walk through this life and remember the teachings that I've taught you. It's the Holy Spirit that the church needs. And the Holy Spirit is the power of the church. Without the Holy Spirit, we are struggling, just like the churches we see or the believers before Jesus came. So let's take a look at what Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. It's going to make this understand, help you understand this a little bit more because the Holy Spirit is a key, key factor here for what's going on in Sardis. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17, Jesus is teaching, and he says this, If you love me, and this again, this is Jesus, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus saves the church. So Jesus comes, his death and resurrection, he comes as both God and man perfected. He comes and fills the problem that we have. 
Sin has created the chasm between God and man. Only one person could fix this problem because we keep sinning. It had to be someone sinless. And so God creates the solution. And now because God now brings Jesus, Jesus dies for us, the bridge between God and man is now connected because of Christ. Now the Holy Spirit gets to activate and speak and guide and help us, the counselor. But it, ca- it comes from Jesus and the work that he did. But the world's not going to accept this, and we don't really understand it because there's this part of God that we just can't quite get. And this Holy Spirit aspect, we don't teach about it much in churches because we can't, we can't really quantify it well. We can't put it into a box. But the Holy Spirit is clear that scriptures say that the Holy Spirit is the key for us to understand the teachings of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our ears to accept Christ as our Savior. It's the Holy Spirit who is working in our lives to transform us to be more like him. Because we, because we keep sinning, we can't do it on our own once again. So the story of God and man is that we keep trying to do things, but we can't. And as humans, we keep trying to do good things, but we can't. When you're saved, you keep trying to be more like Jesus, but you can't. We are continually failing. Now, if you are overcompetitive like I am, and some would say I'm hyper overcompetitive, and I would say you are correct. I am overcompetitive. And the fact that I can't win frustrates me. I'm just, in my spiritual life, it frustrates me. And this is why. I work and I work and I work and I work and I practice and I practice and I do all the right things. I work at everything I'm doing. I'm trying so hard to get this right. Why can't I win? Because in my mind, that's how it's supposed to work. Now, if you're not overcompetitive, you're like, meh. I'm cool just floating along and doing whatever. Um, whoever wins, wins, and I'm not like that. We're on two opposite ends of the spectrum, so never watch any sort of sports event with me. So <laughs> for me, I am driven by success. I want to see winning. I want to see improvement. I want to see advancement. That's what gets me up in the morning. That keeps me up at night dreaming about what can we do better. I love it. But the Bible says this. You can't win on your own. There's no amount of work I can do to win. There's no amount of things I can do to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit working in me through what I am then doing and working at that there is success because it's the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And the word says I, all of my good works before God are like filthy rags. They are not good enough. And so no matter how hard I work, if I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, it's going nowhere. That's frustrating for me because I want to win. In my world, I want to stand before God and say, God, hey, glad that I'm here. Let me give you the 1,235 reasons of why I'm awesome and why you should let me into heaven. And you can imagine what God would say to that. That is how messed up humans are. But if I say to God, hey, God, I have no reasons that you should let me to heaven other than you gave me the spirit, your spirit to transform me, to be more like your son. Your son died for me on the cross. It's his work. It's grace. I don't deserve to be there. It was just your work in my life. Who am I? I'm nobody. Why would you even care about me? I'm nobody. All I did was mess up my whole life and continue to sin even though you saved me. I don't deserve to be anywhere near you. That's the true answer. 
And so what's happening now in Sardis is that Sardis is disconnected from the power of the Holy Spirit that is transforming them. They're disconnected from the Spirit that at some point in some time was doing miraculous things through this church. And in this church, amazing things were happening, so much so that they had this huge reputation in the land of being the most amazing group of people ever. They were, we'll assume, loving well, making disciples, sharing the gospel, helping the poor, helping everybody, loving, serving, doing all these things that God had said through the power of the Spirit. But at some point, the Spirit, they have turned their back on him and said, we've got this. We're good. We'll take care of our own business. And they're dying. And what's funny about this, as we dig into it more, is that we're going to see that they keep doing things that look good, but because their heart is not connected to the Spirit of God, that they've now gone off on their own tangent. And he says, I see and I know you have this reputation, but you're dying inside. You are not at all connected to me. You're not at all connected to the Spirit. And that is terrifying to think about. Listen to this. John 14, 26 says this about the Spirit again. This is Jesus' teaching. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Spirit is coming to guide, counsel, and to remind us and teach us and really open our eyes to what Jesus is saying. So if we do not have the Spirit of God in our lives, you are simply a shell going through motions in which God looks through your shell and sees your heart. And Jesus is not pleased. He's not pleased with this church. He's not pleased with this group of believers that were doing everything awesome, but as time has pushed on, they're not doing it anymore. Now, we don't know why they've gone to this. We can assume, since we're talking to the same churches and the churches before are enduring great persecution. It could be because of persecution. Uh, some of the churches we've talked about were assimilating, so they were Christians but still want to be part of their culture. We could assume and think through it could be through culture. For me, as I read through it, because I'm reading through my lens and my overcompetitive, I've got this, I can do this on my own, I think, and this is just me, okay, this is my opinion, theologian Jason, that there is a, a leaning of self-reliance that I've got this, and I'm good. Maybe you can relate to that. Do you call on Jesus when things are bad, but things are good, you're silent? When your life is falling apart, do you like, oh, I should go to church this week? And then when things are good, like, no, I'm good. Do you find yourself in moments of your life when you see successes, taking the victory for the success, but in the failures, crying out to God, asking the question, why are things failing? I think that's the church of Sardis. In my life, I struggle with this. I struggle with this because in my life, I see myself as the hero of the story. I see myself as the good guy. I see myself as the, hey, meet me. I'm a handshake in love, and I'm also a handshake in love over here. I see myself as doing all these great things for the kingdom. I see myself the one driving things forward. But here's the truth, the raw, naked truth for you. I have been a pastor, and there's seasons in my life I was absolutely spiritually dead, but yet stood on a stage and told you to love God. There have been seasons in my life where I worked in big churches, did everything, and I created bigger numbers than you can even dream of. Lots of people, success, success, success. And the truth of the matter is that my heart was absolutely bone dry, and I didn't have anything to do with God. It was all about a job being successful. It was about winning, and it was about success, and it wasn't about transforming to God. 
I'm not there today. I would tell you if I was. Not on Pastor Appreciation Day. <laughs> but I'm not there now. I'm so thankful that God's transformed my heart. I'm so thankful that God like beat me down and showed me that honestly of all the churches, the church of Sardis is one of the ones that I'm closest to. Because I've been through that season. And actually, when I'm honest with you, as I look through the different churches, I've been in different seasons of all the churches, which is even more scary. But this season of Sardis can be extremely terrifying. Now, why is this an encouraging thing for Jesus to speak to them and say, hey, um, I have the power of the Spirit, I have the power of the church, and you guys are not doing it. And this is why. Because the power of the Spirit is going to offer them power to repent and change. After Jesus identifies himself, the power of repentance and change is right there. The Spirit of God is more powerful than we can even fathom. And no matter where you are on your journey right now, today, the power of God and the Spirit of God can transform you now, immediately, this morning, as we speak. The power of God, when we're reminded of what God has done, and if you have stories of God doing great things in your life, you may remember those moments like, oh yeah, I remember when God did this. I remember when God did that. Or maybe you're just still exploring this whole God journey. You're like, I haven't had those journeys yet. I don't know what you're saying. You're going to find out today that the power of God can do amazing, miraculous things through you. And so as we work and we look to change and transform and to do amazing things, to love where we live. If we do not have the power of God, we're just another nonprofit trying to do nice things for other people. When we try to transform our community and our world and love where we live through the power of God, watch what the Spirit of God can do greater than your mind can ever imagine, and it blows your mind. I'm experiencing that in so many different facets of my life right now where my availability to just being around people, watching God do things, is like make, it's, like, it's like tripping me out. It is so cool. Because like now I'm not even trying to win. Like I can't win. Only God can win. So I'm watching him do amazing things in people's lives. And words come out of my mouth that I don't even know like what I'm saying sometimes. I'm like, yeah, God loves you. Yay. You know, like, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just available. And I'm not trying to win something. I just want to love God by being acting and doing what Jesus did and told us to do, which means I need the Holy Spirit's power. Maybe as a believer today, you have a faith walk in which this power of the Spirit, you're like, Jason, I'm just not there. I hear what you're saying. I, I don't think I've ever experienced that because for me, loving Jesus was about just doing good things. It was about going to church on Sunday. It was about being kind. It was like, don't swear in front of your grandmother. Like whatever you're, like you're doing good things, things kind of came to that your faith walk was so built on a doing versus the power of God that we've missed the beauty of what it really means to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus isn't a prayer and a Sunday attendance. It's opening your hands and saying, I give you my entire life, every facet of it, my future, my retirement, all of my finances, Everywhere, everything I own, where I live, everything, everything is yours. I am completely open-handed. I will do whatever you want. You show me, you change me, you transform me. That's following Jesus. And now watch what this power of spirit can do. In the book of uh, the book Revelation, a short commentary, author G.K. Uh, G. Beale shares this 
how this presenting Jesus could be a bridge between the church and the Holy Spirit, why this might be encouraging. He's like, man, this is not encouraging. How do we say it? Let's take a look at this. He has a great word here from the author. He says this. Christ has supernatural strength available to enable them to have renewed obedience. There's more emphasis in this letter on supernatural assistance than some of the others, since the church of Sardis is the only one among the seven that is so lethargic in fulfilling their Christian role that they are on the verge of being considered spiritually dead. They, the church, listen to this, need resurrection. The problem with the church that they were facing is they weren't obeying it. They weren't doing it. They, they just had become spiritually dead. They've cut themselves off from their power. They've cut themselves off from the power of God that's going to help them transform the world. And so now they're out there doing stuff. They're going through the motions, but they are dead inside. And I'm going to be honest. I've read a lot of stuff on the post-COVID church, and this is where the post-COVID American church is sitting right now. A lot of post-COVID American church is just feeling dead. It's feeling like, what's happened to us? Why do we even be part of this? I don't even know if I believe in this anymore. And then you get the whole deconstruction movement. If you're not familiar with that is, is there's a next generation of people who are saying, yeah, I was told this as a kid and I don't believe any of it. And so people of faith have said, I don't believe any of it anymore. And they've thrown it all away. And they'll say, I'll try to build a faith that I find can help me. I believe is going to be healthy for me because it's not mentally healthy for me to believe that I'm a problem. It's, a, it's not mentally healthy for me to believe that I sin. So I need to find a way in which I feel comfortable. And so this deconstruction movement and the post-COVID church is creating an American church that it looks to the rest of the world like we're a Christian nation, but we are emphatically not. Those who are older in the room remember a day when you used to do things in school or say things that were biblical, that you used to know the Ten Commandments. We used to say, in God we trust. Those who are older in the room remember a day in which being Christian was, faith was normal. It doesn't mean, though, that you're spiritually alive. Just because we went through the motions doesn't mean in the 1950s that everyone was spiritually alive. It's just culturally what you did. With the advantage that those who are older in the room, it was okay to have that faith system. Now our Gen Z generation, which as all of you know, I hang out with a ton. Generation Z has a completely different mindset. And Gen Z, which is our young generation now starting to become adults, if you are a person of faith, that is a negative thing if you're Christian. You can be other faiths, but Christian's negative. We are in a post-Christian community and culture and society. And as post-Christian, we now are saying, what's going to happen to the future of the church? Here's the future of the church. If we do not do what Jesus said, which said, wake up and repent, we are going to die. The Holy Spirit has to be brought back into our churches. We have to talk about the Holy Spirit, pray to the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit for a revival in our hearts, in our community, in the world, because the Holy Spirit's the one that does all the work in us and through us. We have to stop building mega churches with lots of lights and lots of smoke and interpretive dance. I mean, Joe can do interpretive dance if he wants, but we have to stop playing church games. I'm done. I'm so done, my friends, with that. And I'm watching a movement of pastors and people who are doing one of two things. They're either quitting ministry because it is one of the hardest jobs in the world, or they're saying, I'm going to go back to what Jesus said because I don't want to be that church in Sardis. I want to be a church that is powered and fueled because even though we're starting to struggle, we can have something emerge alive and that's what Sardis is all about. 
that even though we're struggling, we can be revived by the Holy Spirit if we simply ask it. One of the things we talk about Mosaic is our metrics. We talk about what is success. What is success to us? And um, for those who are not new to church world, um, or like, I didn't know that was going on behind the scenes, uh, let me tell you what is success. If I go into a room with pastors, and we sit down for a lunch, I don't know these guys. The first question people ask me is, how big is your church? Question, how good of a pastor are you? That's what it really means. Because if you're good, more people come, right? More people come. Like, if you're good, everyone wants, like, well, how many books have you written? Are you on TV? How many people listen to your podcast? Have you done great things for the kingdom by making sure that you're televised at 6 p.m. on certain channels? Like, the pastors that we adore and are our heroes, and the people in music that we think, oh my goodness, they're a Christian band, they're so amazing, and are our heroes, I've met some of them, and guess what? You don't want to meet your heroes. What's on the outside isn't in what's on the inside. I've met with mega, 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 mega church pastors. I've met with my size mega church pastors. I've met with little baby church pastors. I've met with us, our size. I've met with church plants. I've been around this for 20-some years. I've seen a lot of different people. And the metrics in which we have always said is the American dream, the bigger, larger company is the most popular, most famous. That is how it's got to be. That's what's so cool. That my pastor's cool because he's written three books. Guys, is that our metric of your spiritual leaders? Because you're going to be grossly disappointed when you meet some of them. The metric that Jesus is asking for for this church in Sardis is, are you connected to the Holy Spirit? And is the power of the Spirit transforming you? That your works now are what I'm asking you to do. Is he reminding you of the things I've taught you? Are you on mission because you love me? Or are you just going through the motions. If that shocked you that that's what pastors talk about, don't meet your heroes. They're disappointing. Um, it's disappointing to me too, and that's why we church platted. I don't want to disappoint you. So if this is, you're like, oh, shoot. Uh, we're never going to be a mega church. As soon as we grow into, out of this building, Lord willing, we'll probably, we're going to add another service. We're going to have to add another service relatively soon. I get that. Then we're going to start planting churches. As soon as we get big, we're going to plant a church. Why is that? It's because we are on mission to reach communities, and I don't want you to think that I'm somebody that I'm not. Why is all of our leadership spread out among all these different people? It's because we're training leaders to do the work of ministry. Why don't you have, pay for more staff? We can't afford it. Secondly, <laughs> it's part of our vision. Because instilled in me when I first started ministry, it was an amazing pastor that said, your job is to build and equip ministers for the work of ministry. Your job is not to do all of ministry. And so that has been like the beginning when I started to now, which is how do we build, equip, and train leaders to go make disciples that make disciples? So in our mission and our heart is based on all of this. And so when we look at what is a church really about, if we are not connected to the Spirit you cannot lead, you cannot transform lives, you cannot impact your community, you not, cannot impact the world. You will try and you will try to win. And you know what? You can be pretty good at it. But ultimately, you're dead inside. Because I have been. I remember that feeling. I remember the feeling when I realized it. I met with my mentor and accountability partner 
I was talking about all the good things I was doing. He's like, yeah, um, how's your walk with Jesus? I mean, how are you doing, man? Are you good? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. No, I'm not good. But I'm winning. I'm doing great things. Do you know how many people came to my last retreat? He's like, no, 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 no. How are you? How are you doing? And I remember that feeling of, I can only imagine Sardis felt when they read this book, this letter from Jesus, of this sinking, gaping hole of like, oh, no. Because this is not what Jesus asked me to do. He didn't ask me to win. He asked me to be obedient. He asked me to be on mission. He asked me to use my gifts, talents, and abilities for his kingdom. But I think he should get the credit. Because I was getting the credit in my world. But when you look at Sardis, they have all this great reputation of doing something great. They're getting all the credit. Where's the spirit of God in their story? They pushed him out. So if you are there right now on your journey... Do not hear guilt or shame. Hear a brother who's on the journey with you. It's a lonely feeling. It's a sad feeling to think that, man, I've done lots of religious stuff, but I've actually really never been connected to the Spirit of God. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've been working for Jesus or trying to do good things as opposed to loving my master. I understand you. I'm here to say today, Sardis tells us that there's hope because the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit is right there for those who know him. We simply just have to repent. He says, repent, wake up, and turn from your ways, and you're there. There's so much encouragement that can be seen in here if we understand it. Now, this is the scary part. If you, if you listen to that passage, you read this thing about getting your names blot out of the book of life. You're like, ooh, wait, that scares me. Let me go back to this, just in case you missed it the first time. You're like, what are you talking about? Let me read this again, um, because that can be a little bit scary. goes back into uh, verse number two. He says, wake, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, that what you've received and heard, hold fast and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I'll come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not spoiled their clothes. They'll walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels, whoever has ears. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The first feeling we can get in that is like, wait a minute, am I about to get blotted? This is a big theological, big doctrinal thing that we're not going to get into today because that's not our topic for today. Can you lose your salvation? Okay, that's a great question. That's not what this passage is about. Theologians have worked this over on and off again all over the place. That's not what's being said here. But I want you to look at what is actually being said here. And Kendall Esley says it best in the book uh, Revelation. Listen to this. In the letter, you see this. First, their names, the people of Sardis, will never be blotted from the book of life. Second, their names will be acknowledged before my father and his angels. Both of these symbolize eternal life. In ancient times, all citizens of a city might be listed in a citizenship registry. To be erased from such book would mean one has not, or no longer, a citizen. All those who are citizens had the right to be announced or acknowledged before the king and his court. So if this is all about our sin factor, there's going to be a huge tension point because our sin factor has caused huge issues. You have sinned and continue to sin. So if sin blots you out of the book of life, 
We are all toast. I accepted Jesus my Savior. I sinned yesterday, blocked. So then is it a ask Jesus in your heart, get blotted, ask Jesus in your heart, get blotted, which I did when I was younger. My poor Sunday school teacher, God bless her, senior citizen, loved her. She was so kind, led me to the Lord when I was eight years old, eight, nine years old. And every Sunday I'd come and ask Jesus back in my heart. And we would be in our Sunday school class. So old school Christian people, remember old Sunday school classes with the flannel grams and all that stuff, you know, and I was in my Sunday school class and her name was Claudia. Claudia, I would be there and she, she'd say, okay, I want to ask anyone who wants to have Jesus as their savior, you know, put your heads down, all eyes closed, raise your hand. And every Sunday I'd raise my hand. I could hear a sigh from the front. We'd be taken off into this other room and, and I, I, she'd say, okay, Jason, um, You've accepted Jesus in your heart like the last 52 weeks in a row, right? <laughs> and I remember, I just remember, I don't remember, of course, what I said word for word, but I remember the feeling and the, the thought that, but I've messed up this week. Like I'm out. The, the cross is too powerful for that. The cross forgives what you have done, forgives what you are doing now, and forgives the future. The power of the cross transcends us. It is bigger than us it is larger than us, and for those who've accepted Christ, the power and the blood of Christ is the most powerful thing in all of the universe. You are forgiven. Now, the question is this. Were you ever a citizen? Because the citizenship has to do with our connection to God and that God has saved us. And we learn in Scripture that our evidence of God in us is the work of the Holy Spirit through us. So things come out of us, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the question of this is like, it's not a negative, it's a positive. Look, my people are never going to get blotted. But the bigger question is, were you in Sardis, but were you not a citizen? Were you going to that church, doing all those great things, but have never actually asked Christ to be your Savior? Are you going to this church looking like a Christian, doing all these good things, but inside your heart, you're absolutely ice cold and dead? That takes a different approach to what we see here now in the passage. Because he isn't saying that I will not, I'm going to erase all these people. He says, hey, guys, when you persevere, be strong. You have nothing to worry about. You're not going to be blotted out of the book of life because I'm doing something huge right now. And this goes back to a passage in Exodus where God says, the people that will follow me will be blotted out of my book. It's because the sin is continuing and they need a savior. They need an answer. And an Old Testament had to be redone over and over. And when Christ comes, it's done. So the fear is not that you're going to be blotted out of the book. The fear that I ask you to process today is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because that is, are you a citizen of heaven or are you not? And notice both of those people are in a church. To the church of Sardis. They're gathered together. They have great works and great deeds. They're known for being amazing, yet the fruit that comes out of them is spoiled and rotten. Do you know the Master? This isn't about struggling. This isn't about mistakes. This isn't about you, oh my goodness, I'm still struggling with this addiction or this sin. Or That's not what's being said here. When you use the word struggle and the fight and become more like Jesus, and through the power of the Spirit, we're like, what is this? I need God's power in my life to be transformed. That's totally different from, I go to church on Sunday. 
And I help out people. Do you know Christ? Who? What? What? I, just, I thought they had a cool sign outside Mosaic. I started attending. I thought it was cool. I don't know. Or have you given your life to the master? Because now the power of God is available to us to be transformed. The blotting idea should wake us up to say, wait a minute, God. Your whole book is about perseverance. Did I have a spiritual life that was alive at one point? Or did I even connect with God at one point? Or was I just doing good things at one point? And now am I just kind of fading off? Like, where are you on your journey? Because there are a lot of different people that can we can learn from on this journey of just Sardis. In a few seconds here, we're going to enter back into a time of worship and communion. And before we do that, I want to give you moments to process your journey. Friends, I am not your pastor, your friend, your leader, your brother. If I don't speak what the word of God is saying to you, I understand I can say things that are like, hey, have a nice day, and, and you go home and you feel good. That, not in Revelation. That doesn't happen. But so right now, this is a time for us to get real and honest about our journey and where you are on your journey, because there's really three groups here today. There's a group in here that are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of spirit is in you, and you are fighting and working to be more like Christ. And today, the word says to you, persevere. Do not let go of that. Stand firm. There are some of you in this room who are like Sardis, struggling. Either you've never had your name in the book of life or you've disconnected yourself from the power of the Spirit. And now in that disconnection, you're starting to feel like life is clunking along. You're like, this is not going well for me. And so my question or the statement from the word today, Jesus says, wake up, repent, and confess. Turn back. Repent means to turn around and go the other way. It isn't like, I'm sorry, and like, oh, hey, tomorrow, this is great. Repent is turn around, go the other way. And the third group in here is this. I'm journeying. I'm trying to understand Christ as my Savior. I'm not there. I've never done it. Today is your day of salvation if you call on him as Savior. The word is so simple. Confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that he's the one who died and rose again for you that you know that he is the son of God who came to die in your place, that your life now is transformed into his mission and this Holy Spirit now works to transform you. You're one of those three groups and maybe you're, well, maybe there's an in-between. Everyone likes to go to in-between numbers, I don't. One, two, three, two absolute. One, two, three. Where are you in your journey? I'm gonna pray for all three of you right now, asking that you join me in prayer as well. Identify your journey and then after this prayer, We're going to enter into a time of worship and for those who are followers of Christ, a time of communion. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.